So, just a recap about last week. Chapter 3, basically Paul's talking about uh, kind of a theological term, justification by faith. That's what he kind of talks about. He's kind of talking about a lot of things, but really what he's saying, what he's getting at, and he wants these Philippian church to understand, is justification by faith. Believing. Abraham believed the promise and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Done deal. You don't have to get circumcised. You don't have to you know, do all these other things, this list of stuff, and as well as believe in Jesus. You just believe that he died and rose again and you are saved and you have right standing before God. That is what he kind of deals with in that first portion of chapter 3. Now he kind of changes gears a little bit and now he gets into another theological term which is called sanctification. And uh, he, you know, basically sanctification is that setting apart. You, now that you're saved, you have right standing. Well, what now? What now in your life? Well, he's set you apart to grow in the Lord and to become more like Jesus day after day. That's, that's an ongoing process in our lives. We're not perfect, but in God's eyes, we're perfect. He sees us because he lives outside of time, right? We live inside time, and, and, but he's outside. So it's a, it is a, a realized truth to him. He sees us perfect. He sees us perfect. But here on earth, where we live under time constraints, uh, we, um, we're not perfect. We are still in a, a work in progress. And so now he's talking about that. He talks about that. Yes, am I perfect in God's eyes? Yes, I am. But now, I, I still have here on this earth, I have, I'm a work in progress. And, and, and so, that's where we're at. That's what we're going to look at today. So let's pray. Father, we just thank you uh, that, God, you have given us a solid foundation to stand on that we can work from that won't ever change. That foundation is so strong and will never change that we are justified by faith. But, Lord, you have work for us to do. You have, you have growth for us to, 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 to accomplish in our lives. And, and so, Lord, we, we're going to look at that now. And, and, Lord, we want to understand. We want that you would open up the eyes of our understanding and the knowledge of you now as we read the rest of this chapter, as we study it. We pray that you would speak to our hearts uh, in Jesus' name. Amen. And so, verse 12, chapter 3, Philippians. Paul says, Not that I have already attained or am already perfected. Well, go back just to verse 11, one verse. He says, If by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Well, the resurrection from the dead, that means, what does that mean? Well, giving a new body, a new glorified, perfected body, a sinless body. That's, he says, I haven't attained to that yet. I'm still in this fleshly body. Uh, I haven't attained to that yet. And so, so now verse 12, he says, not that I have already attained. And that word literally means to take or to be gathered up. So I have, so, so he says, not that I have already been gathered up and given a new body of perfection, right? I'm not perfect. I'm, he, Paul's saying, I am not perfect. You know, he says, not that I have already attained to that glorified body yet that is perfect, or am already perfected. I'm not. I'm not perfected yet. He understood that he wasn't finished or completed yet. You know, he knew that as long as he was in the body, 
that he was still under construction. We all are under construction. Paul wasn't satisfied with his spiritual, uh, his, you know, where he was spiritually. You know, even though when we look at Paul, he was probably the greatest Christian who ever walked the planet. He still said, I have not attained or I'm not already perfected. Right? Even Paul said that. He understood that, that he still had a long way to go. Sometimes, you know, when we look at our imperfections in our lives, we often get disheartened. We kind of look at ourselves and go, you know, I'm, I'm not good enough. Or, you know, we lose heart and we don't want to get back up on the, on the horse, right? You know, many times because of failure, you know, we tend to give up. You know, we, want to, we just want to throw in the towel, move to Alaska, live off the land. You know, have you ever felt that way? Right? All because you don't stack up to what you or others think you should be. But here, Paul, instead of saying, I give up, I'm just not good enough, or I'm a failure, we all fail and we all fall short. But Paul understood this in his life. As great of a guy as he was, he still realized that he wasn't done yet. He still had work to do, and he realized, he confesses that here. But in spite of feeling undone, Paul says, in the rest of verse 12, I press on. Why? Why does he press on? Well, that, he says, I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. Paul's saying, I want to reach people with the gospel. The thing that laid hold of me was the gospel, the good news. That's what laid hold of me. So I want to, I want to lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus laid a hold of me. You know, so he says, I want to reach people with the gospel because it was the gospel that reached me. Jesus laid hold of me with the gospel so that I may be used to lay hold of others with the gospel, the good news. And then Paul just reiterates in verse 13, he says, Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended or gotten a hold of perfection or completion at this point in my life. He says, I haven't gotten there yet. I'm not there and again, again, he says, I have not arrived yet. I haven't arrived. I'm not perfect yet. I still make mistakes. The Apostle Paul made mistakes. What? Absolutely, yes. Guaranteed the Apostle Paul made mistakes in his life. We don't really see a lot of that. Sometimes you might be able to find, if you followed his missionary you know, his first missionary and his little thing that happened with Barnabas and Silas and concerning Mark, you might see a little bit of something about Paul in his early ministry, you know, that he, he kind of maybe lost his temper, was not compassionate, wasn't uh, merciful, wasn't maybe, uh, you know. So we see he, he had mistakes. He was a man of flesh. He had issues himself. And that's what he's saying. I am not perfected yet. I'm not, I haven't arrived yet. And he says that in Romans chapter 7, 18 to 20, he says, For I know that in me, that is, in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I will to do, that I want to do, I don't do. But the evil I will not to do, that I don't want to do, that is what I actually practice. That's what I actually do. Now, if I do that, 
uh, if I do what I will not to do, that I don't want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. So he wrestled. He wrestled. Is what he's saying. He's I, I wrestled. And basically that's just saying I, he had the Spirit of God in him, but he also had this flesh that, that where he found himself often not doing the right thing. You know, I want to do good, but I end up doing the wrong thing. I end up doing bad. That's what he's saying. You know, he's talking about Christians who, has, who have the spirit of the living God dwelling within them, and yet is covered in a body of flesh. You know, he's talking about the fact that he wants to do good. You know, I had this guy the other day, I was driving up the Narrows, and gets right behind me, you know, and, and, uh, and is just yelling at me and cussing at me, and he's yelling the speed limit, you know. The speed limit is 55, you know, he's telling me. And I'm like, okay, you know, well, I had two people in front of me. I couldn't go anywhere, you know, what am I going to do? Just push the guy off the road, you know. Amen, right, right, you know what I'm talking about, right. I, can't, I couldn't do anything about it. You know, but I felt in the, he was just getting on and he couldn't, he wouldn't stop. It's like, you know, he was pushing me so that I would push the guys in front of him. So, you know, so that he could just go, you know, and, and I found myself like in literally in a, in a split second, just like getting angry at this guy, you know, like I'm like, you know, and all of a sudden I was like, ah, my heart's pounding and I'm like, I just immediately just start praying. I'm like, Lord, I'm sorry. Lord, you love people. You know, you love people. You know, you're all about people. You know, I just start repenting. Lord, you know, and I, you know, I just let the guy over. I just pull over and and he goes, you know, and he's just still yelling at the guy in front of me, you know. (laughs) You know, so I can confidently say that I am not perfected yet. I fall short. I had, you know, it was, you know, a reality for me there. Maybe Paul had a similar experience with the chariots. You know, they were on chariots and, you know, and, and, you know, maybe donkeys, you know, they had, you know, they bumped, you know, or whatever. And maybe in the marketplaces, you know, where he had run-ins with, you know, uh, people that, you know, happened to get his goat, you know, I guess, you know. I don't know really for sure, but, but we do know here that he's saying he's not perfect. He has not arrived yet, and neither have any of us. We're not. We're not. You know, and sometimes we need to be, we need to not beat ourselves up. You know, Paul said, hey, I'm not, I haven't arrived yet. I haven't attained yet to perfection. I'm not complete yet. And so we need to be able to say the same thing. We need to be able to say, I'm not perfect yet and be okay with that, you know. And um, so he continues on in verse 13 and says, but one thing I do, verse 13 one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind. Kind of a parallel scripture to that. He's in Hebrews ten seventeen, God promises to remember no more our sins. God's not saying that He will conveniently have a bad memory, right? He does. He's not saying that. That's impossible with God. It's not like oh, you know, He He He's not saying that in the Bible to forget does not mean to fail to remember. We still remember what has happened in the past. Right? Some more, some some of us more so than others, you know, we're, as we get older we, we lose our memory, but uh, we might want to erase certain bad memories, right? But we cannot. They're, they're there. They're just there. Memories 
We have memories. They're stuck, recorded. But when the Bible speaks of the word forget, it means to no longer be influenced by or affected by. What God is saying in Hebrews 10 regarding remembering their sins no more is that God will no longer hold their sins against them. Their sins can no longer affect their right standing with God or influence his attitude toward them. That's what it means to remember no more. It's not like he's like, oh, I entered some form of hypnosis that I forgot, you know. I forgot their sins. I, oh, I don't even know what you're talking about, you know. It's that he just won't hold it against us anymore. He won't hold it against us, right? He's simply saying, I'm not letting the things of the past affect or influence my today or tomorrow. Sometimes these past things that we have can be good things, right? But if we dwell on these things or rest in the good old days, then we're often no good right now. We're not being any good for God today when we're stuck in the past. I have to confess that I have, I've been this way. I've relied on past ministry missions experience I've spent time there, and it's like my badge of honor, you know? You know, and I, I can kind of rest on my laurels. I've, I've done that. Rested on my laurels, on the experience. There was experience gained. I, I learned, and it, was a, and it was a blessing. But God wants us to move forward. He wants us to move forward. You know, he, wants, you know, uh, you know, he wants us to be fruitful today. What are... What is the Lord doing in your life today? You know, not 20 years ago, but today. What are you doing for the Lord today? God wants us to be fruitful today. He wants us to produce new fruit, a whole new batch of fruit. Also, I'm sure Paul is referring to not only the good things of the past, which is good, but also the bad things, right, mainly, right? There's a lot of bad things that in, the, in our past that we want to forget, right? We just want to forget. They just haunt us. And he says, you know, he's saying, hey, forgetting those things in the past, the fruitless, sin-filled activities of the past, as well as those good things in the past. He says, forgetting those things which are the past. He doesn't really clarify whether or not these things are good things or bad things. Paul just says, I forget about those things. I press on. All that matters is right now and forward. I love 1 John 1.9 because we can start fresh anytime. John says, confess your sins and he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Just like that, a fresh new page, a clean slate. So we can say as Christians, I'm forgetting those things because he, God, is forgetting those things too. There's no reason for me to dwell on my past mistakes and failures because when I confess them, those things are washed away and remembered no more. They're not held against me anymore. So Paul says, I forget those things which are behind and reaching forward. Pressing on. It's all forward movement. He's saying, don't dwell on the past bad experiences 
or even the good experiences, but pressing onward, reaching forward to those things that are ahead, he says. Well, what things that are ahead? It seems a bit vague to me. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong, but it seems a little vague. Paul's kind of talking in vague terms, you know. He's using these, you know, it's like, well, what does all this mean? You know, what is he talking about? So I've kind of taken the liberty to kind of uh, add in what I think he's referring to when he says reaching forward to those things, right, which are ahead. What, what things are ahead? So I, I have a few thoughts. One, heaven. Heaven is ahead. Reaching forward to heaven. Heaven is ahead of us. Heaven is with Jesus ahead of us. And in our, it's in our future as Christians. Two, people. People are ahead of us. People who need Jesus is ahead of us. Three, our personal growth in the Lord is ahead of us. That's, a, that's an ongoing today, moving forward thing. That's ahead of us, our growth. We need to grow in the Lord. Read His Word, study. Four, discovering God's purposes or callings in our lives. Maybe you don't know what your calling is yet. Maybe God would have you to discover that and find out. Maybe God wants to use you in a special way. That's ahead too. Discover that. And then five, the, the main focus that I, want to, I wanted to focus on here uh, is, and I think this goes for every one of us who, who are Christians and who, who know the Lord, the main thing that I, I wanted to focus on is that, is that's ahead of us is really the Great Commission, and it kind of goes along with two people. People. Jesus said, go, like Cody said, like what he's doing. Go and make disciples, what our church is doing. You know, we are doing that. It may not be as grand as going as, you know, foreign missions, but, but we're doing that here. We're making disciples right here in our Jerusalem. Right? That's happening. And so... That's something that is today and forward. The Great Commission. Go and make disciples. Pastor Chuck was a part of a ministry that did this very thing in Africa. It was called Far-Reaching Ministries, right? Reaching lost people for Jesus. Verse 14 carries that same thought. Verse 14, he says, I press toward the goal. What is the goal? I never have really been one to be goal-oriented, other than on the soccer field. That kind of goal I understood. And I usually met that goal growing up as a kid playing soccer. But when it came to setting personal goals, I never was really taught to think that way. Have you set some goals for yourself, son? You know, like I, I have, doesn't, you know, never was really taught that kind of thing, you know? But we've all at some point or another had to learn how to set goals for ourselves. And in order to obtain those goals, we had to press on through thick and thin so that we might achieve that goal. It takes work and effort to achieve goals, right? It takes work and effort. I recently achieved, in my personal life, I achieved a goal and uh, that, that it was something that was in the process for like five years in my life. I, I, it was something I wanted to do for, for a long time, and, I, and it just, you know, by God's grace and sovereignty and just Him working, I was able to achieve that. 
and I was able to pass my C10 electrical license uh, for my contractor license. First time. I was like, wow, you got to be kidding me, you know. And uh, so I just praise God for that. But it took effort and faithfulness and knowledge to accomplish that goal. And I, I just, it was something I felt for my, my family. You know, I'm, I'm the sole provider. Uh, I, you know, I have three children. I need to take care of them. I felt the need. And it was like, that was a strong motivator for me to take care of business. You know, I was like, I've got to do this. I've got, I've got all this experience, but I've got nothing to show for. And it was just, I need to do this. And, and it was like the Lord just answered, I think, through prayer and through his, just his hand in it. He, he made it happen. And so I just praise God for that. And, um, but I believe that the goal that Paul is referring to here in verse 14 is the goal of making disciples. God would have each one of us do one of two things, if not both at the same time. Either be in the process of being discipled, or be in the process of discipling someone else. Or be in the process of, dis- or uh, actually be in the process of that happening at the same time. That that to you, you're being discipled, and then you're also discipling. That can happen as well. Making disciples. Jesus commanded us. He gave us orders to go and make disciples. That's the goal. The goal. Ephesians 4:12 says, "For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ." till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Why are we to make disciples? Well, there's a reason, and he says it here, for a prize. There's a prize. We get a prize out of the deal. Well, what's that prize, you might ask? I think the prize is summarized in 1 Thessalonians 2, where it says, For what, and he asks the question, Paul, asking the question, for what is our hope? What is our joy? What is our crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? Verse 20, for you are our glory and joy. The prize you ask is you. It's people in the presence of Jesus discipled, sanctified, and washed in the blood of Jesus. People who have been discipled and have come to trust in Jesus with all their hearts. So much so that when Jesus comes back, those people that you ministered to, that you had a part in the building up of their faith, there's going to be a little prize put in your account. A little something from God that's going to be put into your account. Remember, what Pastor Chuck said about supporting a missionary. When we do, we share in the fruit of the ministry. Missionaries are not able to do what, they, uh, what God has called them to do without people back home supporting them. The Bible says that a soldier doesn't go to war at his own expense. He doesn't go, well, I got ten bucks here, you know, uh, you know, I could buy maybe a couple of bullets, you know. Right? He doesn't go to war at his own expense. Missionaries don't go to serve in the foreign country at their own expense somehow. I mean, some can. Some can if it's possible. And they do. There are some. Sometimes medical missionaries, you know, because that is, the governments recognize that as beneficial to the country. And they'll give you a special visa that you can 
you can do that. But if, if you don't have that luxury, that nice, you know, then you can't do that. You have to get a special missionary visa. You can't work in that country. And so you've got it. You're, you're relying upon support from your home country. So he says, the prize that we battle for is people. It's people. People are the crown of rejoicing that we will receive in heaven that we will ultimately cast at Jesus' feet. People that, that we've won for Christ, they're going to be there with us in, that, in the presence of Jesus. And obviously Jesus is the prize as well. I mean, just to gain Christ is the prize, you know. But that, we already established that in the first, cha- in the first half of the chapter. That's already established. Now we're talking about what we do now that we're saved. What we should be doing to gain those rewards. And that's to win people. Those are going to be the crowns because we're, going to, we're winning people for Christ. And so that's what we're going to be casting down. It's like, Lord, I only reached that guy because you reached me. And so now I'm just offering him back to you because you saved me and, and now I just was used by you. You know, that's what he's talking about. People are the crown of rejoicing that we will receive in heaven. And Paul goes on in verse 15 to 16 by addressing the more seasoned saints and says, Therefore, let us as many as are mature have this mind, or as many as are full grown in mind and understanding in the knowledge of the truth. That's what the word mature literally means in the Greek. It's the word teleos. And so Paul tells them to have this mind, be about your father's business in the making of disciples. Have this mind, he says, so that the work of the ministry will continue on. God wants discipled workers to go out into the field for the harvest. God's telling those seasoned saints to have this mind and be, your, and be about your father's business and make disciples. To love people and to teach them to observe all things whatsoever Jesus has commanded us. It's all about people. For God so loved the world. And he's not talking about the big spinning ball of dirt in outer space, but the hidden treasure of people found in the world. Yes, hidden treasure. That's what we are to him. We are the hidden treasure that he sold everything for. He gave up everything that he might buy that piece of land that in that land was a pearl of great price. That's us. That's how he views us. Views us as a pearl of great price that w- where he would be willing to just sell it all. And he did. He gave up his very life to, so that we could have eternal life and spend eternity with him. Verse 17, Paul says, Brethren, join in following my example. Well, again, what was that example? It was teaching people instructing them in the things of the Lord. I'm sure he was simply loving people too, making disciples. That was the example. Paul and Jesus were on the same page. This whole idea of making disciples was a carefully planned strategy of the Father, of Jesus and of the Holy Spirit. Just because Jesus was taken up into heaven and was no longer physically on the earth, that somehow the goal changed. No, the goal didn't change. And Paul understood that. Paul understood this. And that was what he was doing. He was doing what Jesus had commanded before he was taken up. He's making disciples. 
Jesus is our commander in chief and Paul was a soldier like you and me. And he had his orders and that was to go and make disciples of all nations. The same orders that Paul had goes for us too. It hasn't changed. It's still relevant and pertinent. It's what Jesus would have us to be doing. It's what Paul was doing. That was the example he said to follow. Paul says there's a pattern that we have. Follow that pattern. Follow that example. He says, I'm, I've shown you that pattern or, or example, so do that. Making disciples, teaching you to observe all things whatsoever Jesus has commanded you. And so he goes, why does he say, follow my example? Because verse 18 and 19, Paul describes another group of people who are different than those found in 15, the mature. He says, don't follow their example, these, these other people. He says, instead, he says, follow my example because many walk, verse 18, of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly and whose glory is in their shame. Paul says, they are many How sad that is to me. There are many, many. But Jesus said the same thing too. He said this in Matthew 7. He said, enter the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. Paul is describing this group of people who Jesus sort of described as well. Firstly, notice they are not the enemies of Christ, per se, but they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. Why is that? Why is that? Because remember what Jesus said as he hung there on the cross? He said, to Telestai. It is finished. Remember earlier in this chapter, Paul spoke about a group of people who said it wasn't enough to just believe in what Jesus did on the cross, but that you had to be circumcised in order to be right with God. These guys were considered the enemies of the cross of Christ because they were basically saying that the cross was incomplete somehow. They denied the finished work of the cross. They rejected the notion that Jesus was the Lamb of God who died once for all and who takes away the sin of the world. They rejected that truth concerning the cross. They said you needed to do something else besides believing in the finished work of the cross. That's why they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. And he says at the end of verse 19, and I think it's worth the mention, and that is, that these en- these are the enemies of the cross are the, these enemies of the cross they mind earthly things they mind earthly things now i don't think this means that you can't enjoy your life here on earth god created all things for us to enjoy the bible says that we can go camping we can go fishing we can go biking skiing hiking enjoy your lives enjoy in christ Enjoy it. It's okay. He's not talking about oh, you know, earthly minded. You know that's you know that's sinful. You know, to be only thinking about you know. No, God created it and said it was good. He said it was good. We should we should enjoy it. We of all people recognize that and go wow, 
praise God, look at that sunset, and, you know, and, and enjoy his creation. When Paul says here they mind earthly things, he's telling them that all these people seem to really be interested in is energized by the flesh and not the spirit. He's just saying that these guys are only about the flesh in every way. There is no faith or spirit in these men. It's a matter of faith, not sight, or outward works of righteousness that we could do. Concerning the earth that we live on, we are not to worship the creation, but worship the creator who is blessed forevermore. So our perspective, we worship the one who created all things, not the creation. A lot of people worship the creation. They look at, oh, well, let's just have church right out here in the woods, you know. You know, people do that, you know. I mean, but you can do that. You can have church anywhere. But God wants us to be, come together, you know, not to forsake the gathering together of the brethren. All these guys cared about was the outward show of the flesh. I'm not sure that you could get any more fleshy than by telling people that they needed to be circumcised. Right? You know, I don't think it's any more fleshier than that. Just an outward show. So Paul ends this chapter with reminding the Philippian church that our citizenship is in heaven, or our manner of life is in heaven, how we live, how we are to live. It should be a heavenly life that we live that worships God in spirit and in truth from where we eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, whom we don't see, we don't see him, but by faith we believe. We believe he's coming back. We believe he's, he saved us. We, we gather together here by faith, not just because it's a social meeting or anything, but because we believe that where two or more are gathered, he is in our midst. We believe that by faith, not by fleshy, you know, whatever. It's by, by his spirit, by faith, we believe. Jesus said that he is going away to prepare a place for us, that where he is, we may be also, and we shall be like him. This lowly body of ours that is falling apart by the minute will be transformed, and we will be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. In other words, this vile body will be changed or transformed. I'm not perfected yet because I have this body of death that I drag around with me wherever I go. Remember 1 Thessalonians 4 and 1 Corinthians 15. For we, our bodies, shall be changed and we will be fashioned or conformed or made like unto his glorious body. How is this possible? Because he is able even to subdue or submit all things unto himself. He is able to accomplish this on that day when he comes back. He's able to reconstruct our molecules on that day when he blows that last trumpet. This earthly body will be changed and this corruptible will put on incorruption. An incorruptible body. A body that doesn't age or have wrinkles or smell or you know all of that. We shall be changed like a garment, it says. We are now to be reaching forward now for that day, pressing on, making disciples, seeking heaven's crowns, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. And when that last trumpet does blow, and he calls us away in a moment in the twinkling of an eye, we will forever be with the Lord. Forever with the Lord in glorified, sinless bodies, 
where the joy shall never end. Doesn't that sound awesome? I can't wait for that day. That's, I mean, I don't understand it, but I believe it. And it, it's a day that's ahead of us that's coming. And, and we can just rest in that. We can rest that he has a place for us. If you know Jesus today, if you don't know Jesus, please come. Make it right today. Come. He says, if you confess me before man, I will confess you before the Father. If you, don't, if you haven't given your life to Christ today, don't wait. Don't delay. Another day. Today is the day of salvation, the Bible says. Give your life to Christ. You won't regret it. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we just thank you, God, that you are good. And, Lord, you have a plan and a purpose and a calling for each one of us. And, Lord, you know what we ought to be about in this life today and moving forward, the work that you've given us to do. Lord, and so, God, I pray that you would uh, work that into us, speak to us about those things, God, that you would have each one of us to be a part of, that you would, uh, Lord, confirm those things so that we can be about our Father's business, that we could be doing, Lord, what it is that you created us to do, that it would be clear, and that we'd just walk in that, receiving crowns, Lord, that one day we're going to just cast at your feet anyways. But it's for you that we do it, Lord, because of what you did for us. So we thank you, we praise you, Lord, and we just ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.